back to my burns. This is burn lecture number seven, electrical injuries. So in some of the past lectures, we've covered just general burns, mainly tissue burns and things that pertain to that. We're gonna cover special populations here, this being electrical injury. And electrical injuries are special because the amount of damage that your patient sustains can be much more severe than what you see on the outside. And I think if you take one thing away from this lecture, it's that the damage that you're gonna get from any electrical injury is going to be a lot more extensive than what you're seeing on the outside. And these tend to come in three flavors, voltage from electrical current, arc burns, so it's kind of like you're a bystander in current passing, and then contact burns. Just like any other burn that we talked about earlier, history is very important. Some specific questions though, as far as history pertaining to any kind of electrical injury was what was the current source? So was it a power line? Was it household electrical current? Was it a power tool? You know, what kind of current was it connected to? So AC is alternating current that can cause more damage or DC, which is direct current, things like car batteries, lightning, electrical wires, that's a direct current running in one direction. Was it high voltage, greater than 1,000 volts, or low voltage, less than 1,000 volts? What were your contact points? And then what was the duration of contact? So along with your burn questions, you know, was there pre-hospital care? Do they have any other medical problems? That kind of thing. These are some specific questions you want to ask to somebody that has sustained an electrical burn. Arc burns, they're the bystander that just kind of gets in a way of current that's arcing from one point to the other. These are mainly electricians, and a kind of frightening statistic is that 97% of electricians have been shocked, and it's interesting because my dad works in the construction industry, and he's had this happen to him before, just general arc burns, and usually the electricians or people that work with this stuff can tell you, hey, I got a hold of some serious current, or no, this was just some sort of arc burn. You're going to treat their burn just like any other burn, but again, being aware if there was a significant passage of current through the person or from one contact point, like a hand to a foot, that kind of thing. These are less common with these arc burns as they are with some of the other types of burns. Next up are your contact burns. These are, you got a hold of a wiring, you got a hold of a shorted out wire. The depth of the injury depends again on the contact time and the voltage. One note for the ED if the voltage is less than 240 volts, which is generally your household current, if they have a normal EKG and a short exposure, you can discharge them home. If it is a greater than 600 volt exposure, they need admission for observation. In that category, also a patient that had low voltage, less than 240 volts exposure that has an abnormal EKG, then they also need admission for observation, so something to think about. The next type of burns are the higher injury likelihood burns, and those are current and lightning, and these are very devastating. These are probably the most devastating type of burns that are seen in the burn unit just because the tissue damage is extensive. Electrical burns have the highest rate of fasciotomies and amputations. An interesting fact, Colorado is number two in the country for lightning deaths per population. Number one is actually Wyoming, and this is not the number of lightning strikes. There are more in Texas and Florida, but those are more densely populated states. So something to definitely think about. We have a lot of outdoors people, a lot of flat terrain. 
So this is something that you have a very good likelihood of seeing at some point, especially if you're in the summer type months in the burn unit. One thing we'll talk about pre-hospital care, because this actually shows up on the emergency medicine boards quite frequently, is the concept of paralysis. So basically you get a diaphragmatic paralysis immediately after the lightning strike. So when we normally have our start triage criteria and you're out in the field, you know, assigning the green tag, yellow tag, red tag, black tag, the one exception to a black tag patient that has no vital signs is a lightning strike injury. So if you are on scene triaging a lightning strike injury and you have somebody that has no pulse and is not breathing, those patients actually do get CPR and they do get a red tag as opposed to a black tag that would be standard in any other kind of mass casualty event. So something that's important to remember, and that's because prolonged CPR may have success in these patients just because of the mechanism of their injury, where it's more of a cardiac and diaphragmatic stunning as opposed to truly a devastating injury. Resuscitation is going to be similar in these patients. The one change is that you're going to definitely want an EKG to evaluate for any kind of cardiac damage. The last person that I had in the burn unit that had an electrical injury sustained while on the job had kind of abnormal T-wave inversions in a few of his leads with no cardiac history and no prior EKGs. So more than likely that was from the electrical injury and that gentleman need to be monitored on telemetry. So when you meet these When you're admitting these patients to the burn unit, make sure that they're all placed on telemetry if they have an abnormal EKG. The other big difference is going to be for your fluid resuscitation. I know we had talked about less is more with fluids, but with these patients, you're going to be giving them four mLs per kilo per total body surface area. And in our burn nurse-driven fluid resuscitation protocol, this is reflected in a question, was it an electrical burn and you increase the amount of fluids and then you're titrating to a higher urine output instead of 0.5 to 1 ml per kilo per hour, it's 1 to 2 because again, they have a high likelihood of having a lot of rhabdomyolysis, a lot of muscle necrosis, things that you need to really stay on top of the, the fluids. And then the other piece to this is your standard ABCs. None of that changes in an in a electrical type injury. Some specific injuries that you're going to see, and I think we talked about some of these injury patterns, are cardiac injury. So cardiac muscle is very sensitive to electrical current, hence we use defibrillators in the hospital to treat dysrhythmias. Again, in the ED, if they have low voltage exposure, normal EKG, no need to monitor. These injuries do not progress. They can go home. If they do have anything that's high risk, a documented dysrhythmia, so maybe your medics say they had runs of VTAC in the field, abnormal EKGs, any kind of LOC, because again, you're concerned about that myocardial stunning or CPR in the field, you need to monitor at least 24 to 48 hours. Most commonly, you'll see these nonspecific ST changes, uh, and AFib is very common in electrical type injuries. Another injury that we talked about that needs to be on your radar is compartment syndromes and rhabdo. We talked about earlier that these patients have a very high likelihood of amputation. There is extensive muscle damage. You want to be checking serial CPKs until they start trending down, giving adequate fluid resuscitation and making sure when you're putting orders in for these electrical injury patients that they're getting neurovascular and compartment checks at a prescribed interval, depending on their level of injury between two and four hours, at least for the first 24 hours. Another issue that you see with these patients are trauma. It can be because of multiple mechanisms. Either they were truly thrown back because of current 
direct strikes. Sometimes these patients have seizures depending on the type of current that they were exposed to. So you want to have, you know, an appropriate trauma survey, especially the D portion, the disability portion, making sure they're moving everything. You can see nervous injuries, whether that being the spinal cord, you can actually get spinal cord stunning. And some of these patients, if they do have significant neurologic deficits, will need an MRI. Or you can get peripheral nerve injury and paralysis. Some of that can be long-lasting and needs outpatient PMNR follow-up. Just as the nerves are sensitive, the eyes and the ears are very sensitive. Most of the time, there is nothing to do in the burn unit for this. Sometimes they need ophthalmologic evaluation for cataracts, but definitely need outpatient follow-up for this, as well as outpatient audiological testing to see if they had any kind of hearing loss or hearing damage to those very sensitive inner ear parts. But again, none of this necessarily needs to be done in the burn unit unless there's some very high clinical concern or you're concerned about some other type of reversible damage that's done with electricity. The last thing I want to talk about is commissure burns. So this will also show up on your EM boards. Hopefully you're not seeing these in our burn unit because we don't treat children. But these are children chewing on electrical cords. This is actually very common. When I was a little girl, I had a bunny that ate an electrical cord and actually had a a commissure burn. And it's not the burn themselves that causes the problem. So these are the burns to the kind of corners of the mouth. They are chewing on the electrical cord. They get a spark. They get an injury. The one thing that you want to do when you see these patients or if you see one of these questions on your boards is that they can get delayed bleeding 10 to 14 days out from the labial artery. So you do want to warn parents that this is a possible complication. There is nothing that needs to be done up front, but you do need to counsel the parents on hemorrhage control, holding pressure, and then bringing them back in if this occurs. It doesn't always occur. My bunny was fine, but you want to make sure to warn the parents. So just in summary, for electrical injury, these injuries are very extensive. We are going to change how we do a few things, that primarily being fluids. You're going to do four mLs per kilo per total body surface area burned to start out with your fluid crystalloid resuscitation. And then you're going to be checking CPKs and then evaluating for that cardiac injury with an EKG. And that is electrical injuries for in lecture number seven.